You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. That was Christine Sinclair, gold medalist. Christine Sinclair as Team Canada took home the gold in Tokyo today, beating Sweden in penalty kicks. Christine was not out there, but apparently, Joey, when she got subbed off in the 85th minute, one of our texters pointed this out. I was actually driving, listening to the match on the CBC Gem app, hands-free. It was yes. all safe. I wasn't, and I had the phone down, so I couldn't see, like, out of the corner of my eye any action. But apparently she was filling water cups when she was off the pitch during extra during extra time for her uh, teammates. Like, does that not just speak of how much a teammate she is? Karen doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> does not surprise me in the least. And even though, and she's been in so many high-pressure situations for her country, over the last number of decades, uh, it still would have been a high-pressure feeling for her on the bench watching her teammates try to seal the deal and help the country to the top of the podium. They did it today, defeating Sweden in penalty kicks after Christine Sinclair was subbed off with just a couple of minutes to go in uh, full time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, gold medalist. I've been fortunate in, uh, in my career to have been able to beyond the field with Christine Sinclair. It's only just a handful of times, Karen, mm-hmm. but as a, a former soccer referee, um, I officiated her during her, her youth playing days oh, really? here in British Columbia uh, when she represented B- BC uh, at national tournaments. I had a chance to referee games uh, when she played for the Vancouver Whitecaps team and uh, also had a chance to work uh, on a few occasions uh, with the national program and exhibition matches here in in British Columbia. Um, Just a fiery competitor. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you talk to her off the field, it's, hey, Joey, how's it going? And it's, hey, Chris, how are you? Uh, I can't be more thrilled for her. And I can't be uh, more thrilled for the entire program. It's been a long, long haul for Canada's women's team to get to where they got this morning Mm -hmm. and Christine Sinclair uh, the driving force of that program uh, gets her due worth today by getting a gold medal uh, put around her neck in Tokyo. A story we've been following a little bit it's the Elks I'm gonna say like I'm gonna have to say Edmonton quite a bit on this because I know I'm gonna have a name in the like a quarter in the swear jar I have had so many quarters in the swear jar for not calling him (laughs) Michael Riley uh, so far when we were talking about the BC Lions quarterback, but the Elks, the Edmonton Elks, they set out a statement because there was cancellation of their walkthrough today and the media availability due to health and safety protocols, COVID health and safety protocols. The statement says, reads, Elks are continuing to prepare for tomorrow's scheduled home opener against the Ottawa Red Blacks. The team's walkthrough scheduled for today was canceled due to COVID-19 protocols, but players, coaches, and staff are at the facility today in preparation for tomorrow's game. We will continue to follow the necessary steps to ensure the health and safety of our players, coaches, and staff. Currently, we have no concern that the game will not be played. That last statement is, I think, the key one from yeah. there. No concern that that game will not be played. Again, obviously, things can change. This is COVID-19. We've been dealing with it for uh, 18 months, but that's a very positive statement. We're joined now with Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. He was at the game last night in Winnipeg at IG Field. Jeff, good morning. I guess it's good afternoon for you in Winnipeg. How are you today? Yeah, it's afternoon here. It's great. What a day so far, eh? Yeah. Lots of information. What a morning. Yeah, it's, uh, and 
you know, great to be on with you guys at, at one o'clock. It feels like it's already been a full day. <laughs> it has, hasn't it? So for you, you got, you were lucky because you're in the central time zone. So you got to wake up mm-hmm. at seven o'clock to watch the match. Joey and I were yeah, I guess. set our alarms for the 4 a.m. hour. I know in Calgary, it would have been just before six o'clock. Um, obviously, you got up, watched the match. Just your feelings watching Canada take home gold and in the fashion that they did. Well, you know what? It's just like I was just saying off, off air there for a second that I felt like the entire shootout was like a whole different game. It was just like a whole like story in and of itself. I, I mean, obviously, you know, when Canada tied it up, that was a great moment. And then, of course, Sweden really took it to them at the end. It was kind of felt like it was a little bit of a hold on situation. And then once they got to penalty kicks, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I was like, oh, this is in the bag. Um, but certainly thought Canada was in a better situation than what we were seeing in the extra time. And and then, I mean, like I said, it was just, okay, wow, what a start. Then, okay, this is over to, wow, euphoria again. And just to watch the, you know, Christine Sinclair and, you know, Desiree Scott from Winnipeg, you know, just the, you know, the looks on their faces, the emotion, you know, you do feel a little bit for Sweden and, and the heartbreak there. But, I mean, what a moment for Canada. And, you know, and the fact that their whole – their whole brand heading into this Olympics was to change the color, of course, that being the medal, and just to see what this, you know, you know, looking at Desiree Scott and Christine Sinclair and how long they've been on this team and just to see them be able to probably was most likely wrapping up their, you know, Olympic careers probably for sure with gold. It's just, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's up there, if not the biggest, you know, moment, international moment for Canada in sports, I would argue. I know I'm a pretty every four years, and I guess this year is five years, but I, I do follow, that's when I follow summer, summer Olympic sports. It's been odd because we know the situation going into these Olympic Games with COVID and all the protocols and no fans. It's been weird at certain events. Some events have been like, okay, it really doesn't bother me, but the time change and all that stuff, have you been captivated by these games? You know, it's funny you say that, Karen, because like I haven't. And, and it's not that... I kind of feel guilty about it a little bit. Like I'd say this soccer game was not saying the first thing I watched. And I mean, the beauty of social media too, is you get to recap everything. So it's not like I haven't been able to witness everything. Like, you know, there's the videos of the gold medals and every medal for that instance. And then all, um, and then all like the special moments just outside of Canada, right? Anything that tugs at the heartstrings seems to find its way on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. So it's not like I feel like I've been away from it, but as you mentioned, like, I mean, the kind of going into the Olympics, I never had this opinion like it was a bad idea, but there was just kind of a, I don't want to say black guy, but I will say black guy, kind of hanging into it with everything that was going on, some stuff that's happening out there in that part of the world. And just, you know, the fact that um, this was just, you know, people question whether this should even be put on. But I mean, after being able to watch some of it and, and being able to kind of, you know, let it grip you and, and look at the competition and see just the, you know, see just kind of that, beauty of sport if you will just how much it means to these these athletes and how much work they put into it and and just you know all those things just you know it it does grip you so I have been able to watch it I also feel like the Olympics is one of those things where you kind of have to be there I've never covered an Olympics personally but there's some kind of moments like when I see like I read uh, reporters tweets out there it's like I can't really get to that emotional level because I can't really, you know, you don't really feel it if you're not really there. But I mean, that being said, I mean, it's been a terrific, been a terrific Olympics for Canada. I think they tied Rio with that gold Mm -hmm. and they're going to probably beat it. So, um, you know, all in all, I mean, it's like yesterday's game. I mean, it's just a sense of normalcy when you can see, you know, when you, when you start watching and you're seeing things that, you know, that have been delayed in this case or in in other cases have been, have been canceled and put off. So, 
Certainly Jeff, a positive for me. Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press joining us today here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we've been watching all these Olympic Games with no fans in the stands. Now, rewind to last night, where for the first time in, what, a couple of years, you got a chance to watch a sporting event with fans in the stands, and that was in Winnipeg for the CFL season opener as the Blue Bombers wound up beating the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Just before we even talk about the game and CFL football being back, what was the feeling like when you walked into the stadium and started to see tens of thousands of people walking through the turnstiles? Yeah, Joey, like, honestly, like, I'm not a guy that gets kind of giddy. I don't even really like that word, to be honest with you. But it's like, I just couldn't help it. Like, I, I you pull up to it. I, I left super early thinking traffic would be crazy. It wasn't as crazy as I thought it would be. So I was able to kind of get there as people started to show up. And then, you know, it just started to come in waves. And it was, it was just, it was just unique. Like, it would just give you this weird feeling. Like, I didn't have this feeling of like, whoa, this is too much or too soon. It was just almost kind of like you embraced it because, the fact that it, that seeing that is, is somehow weird. I mean, it's, it's just, it's unique in and of itself. So uh, I kind of had that feeling when I, when we, when we, cause the bombers started their training camp in a, in a field that was on the U of M campus, but it was off the, it wasn't an IG field. So getting into IG field for the first time was a moment to see all those people fill in the seats. And if, you know, anyone who's aware of IG field and Winnipeg fans, we have the big rum hut, um, which is where everyone congregates and drinks. And that was in full, you know, full swing yesterday. I think a big thing too, is that, uh, you know, obviously maybe your listeners know or don't know, but um, Winnipeg's the, the only, the only province or Manitoba is the only province that is, you know, forcing a, a fully vaccinated crowd. So I think there was almost, you know, for me personally, if I was in a different province and, you know, saw people that I, you know, saw that group, a large group of people knowing some weren't vaccinated or whatever, just, it seemed to me like the double vaccination or the fully vaccinated, rule just kind of had a little bit of a okay this this is kind of okay you know what I mean and so I mean it was just surreal like I mean it was it was it didn't quite it didn't sell out didn't quite hit 30,000 I think it was a couple a hundred fans short of that but um, it was rocking and it was you know right from the beginning I mean people were excited I think people lines were obviously super long but everyone just kind of understood this was the first big real single event um, in more than 20 months so it was surreal to see the the, the fans kind of e- even before kickoff went. So does that mean you're interested to see what the images are going to look like from your neighbors next door when Saskatchewan expects a full house tonight, opening up the rider season against the BC Lions? Yeah, and I mean that's going to be rocking. I mean I you know it's it's uh, anyone who's ever been to to Mosaic, anyone who's ever been to a home game in Saskatchewan ever. Um, knows how, how rowdy it can get. Obviously, they got some different rules, but, you know, their provinces handle it the, the way they want to handle it. And, you know, and no one's forcing anyone to go to a game. So, I mean, to me, I embrace those kind of things. I embrace the fact they're going to have a sell. It's going to be an awesome opportunity for those fans who you know, you know, um, not, you know, this in any other province, but they really, really, really love their riders. And, and to think that they haven't been able to see them or watch them for, for close to two years is is probably unimaginable to them. So just, you know, the, the atmosphere is going to be great. I think it's uh, just like it was in Winnipeg. I mean, even in a 19-6 game, there wasn't a ton of points, but it just seemed like everybody didn't need an excuse to cheer. Whereas, you know, in a lot of sporting events prior to COVID, it was like, okay, give me something to cheer. Last night, it was certainly, um, it was a victory just to kind of be there. Jeff, it was Winnipeg beating Hamilton 19-6. to Not to look at specifics, X's and O's so much, but it was really an unknown what we're going to see in the first week, first few weeks of this season. What did you think of the quality of football on the field? 
I was quite impressed actually. Um, you know, it was, you know, if you were basing off the, if you're going, you know, based on what, what I thought about the bombers early on, I mean, they went two and out in their first couple drives and then Hamilton went 89 yards on like six or seven plays, which was this clinical touchdown drive by Jeremiah Masoli. And you just kind of thought to you like, Holy smokes, the rust doesn't seem to be on Hamilton. And could this be a long season for the bombers? Just got to, you know, literally minutes into the game. Um, but then it just kind of, smoothed out I mean whether it's COVID or a long layoff or not most typical years usually defense has the edge and then as you know even though the rules do benefit the offense it's usually the first couple weeks where the defense kind of has that edge through training camp and whatever um you saw that last night obviously with with particularly with Winnipeg after after that touchdown drive by Hamilton I mean um they failed the two-point attempt and then didn't didn't score another point the rest of the game so so they were on cue but as far as like competition and, and, you know, an expectation of rustiness didn't see it last night. Um, it felt just like a game. There were great plays. There were, you know, um, by both sides. I mean, obviously Hamilton uh, was missing, a, a, you know, Hamilton was missing a number of key guys. Winnipeg was also short players, including Andrew Harris, of course. So, um, you know, they were both banged up a little bit, but as far as product goes, um, I think if you're the Canadian football league, you got to be happy with, uh, with what you witnessed last night. Hey Jeff, one player that uh, are, listeners throughout Western Canada are very familiar with has proven to be a pretty important piece of the puzzle moving forward here for the Blue Bombers and that's former BC Lions defender Adam Big Hill. Boy I know that the league has been off for two years. This guy looks like he hasn't missed a beat. He led the game last night with seven tackles and even though he's getting up there in age he's now 32 years old. Uh, this guy looks like he's determined to keep the good times rolling for a team that uh, is coming off a great cup title. Yeah. I think I wrote um, a couple days ago that I don't think he took a day off. Like, or at least he doesn't look like he took a day off. I mean, anyone that knows Adam, as I'm sure you guys do, like he's an intense guy, right? I mean, he's a very dedicated guy and um, I'll steal the words from Doug Brown. Who's on uh, the pregame show, um, farmers pregame show. And he said, uh, you know, like, Adam probably just thought, you know what, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and, you know, like this is a guy who's finding any way to work out. You know, he's the kind of guy that clears obstacles. So any issue with finding equipment or gyms, um, you know, through COVID, which was obviously an issue for some people, um, didn't seem to be an issue for him. I mean, you'd see him on social media asking if someone had this set, if he could borrow or whatever. So, um, yeah, certainly. And I mean, you you kind of had to do that if you're Adam Big Hill and that, you know, he, he didn't have a, he didn't, I mean, he had a great 2018. He didn't have a bad 2019 by any means, but he didn't have an Adam Big Hill 2019. So I think there was a bit of a, a you know, perhaps a chip on his shoulder and then obviously the cancellation. And then, you know, he had to restructure his contract. So he's extremely motivated. And, um, and that's a pretty dangerous thing for a guy who probably doesn't need a lot of motivation to get, get something done. So I uh, certainly saw it all through training camp and again last night and um, definitely a leader on this team and, and someone who's going to be relied on heavily in 2021 as they as they try to you know go back to back, uh, if you will, this, these great cup titles. In conversation with Jeff Hamilton, a few more minutes here with the Winnipeg Free Press. Jeff, we spoke with Neil McAvoy, co-general manager of the BC Lions, a couple of days ago, and we asked him about, you know, the COVID protocols and how it all went through at training camp. And he said one of the big key things for them was bringing the American players in and educating them, um, bringing in medical experts and just talking about the vaccines and maybe some 
misinformation south of the border and just kind of educating them up here. And a lot of the players actually decided, he said, to take the vaccine and get it. And mm -hmm. I, he didn't give me numbers on what the vaccination rate is with the Lions, but you're pretty right. in tune with teams across the league. Have you heard anything, some maybe similar stories or the fact that vaccinations are a bit on the rise? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can make a definitive statement about them being on the rise, per se, but it varies, right? I mean, the, the league did put out things and, like, you know, it was something like a 67% to, like, an 80-something percent that, that it was between. So that's a pretty big, you know, difference um, where teams fall. I mean, I, I, I do know there is a reluctance. There is, I mean, vaccinations are an issue this mm -hmm. year within locker rooms, and it's an issue that hasn't been talked about, you know, too much or, or too openly. And, you know, it is a bit of a slippery slope. Like, if you compare, for instance... Um, American reporting versus Canadian reporting. And part of that is our, kind of our rules around privacy and particularly medical records. I mean, Americans are just asking players, they go, are you, are, you know, are you vaccinated? And it's, it's like here, you kind of, you, you know, you're not really in a position to ask a player if he's been vac vaccinated. Now teams and the CFL, and I, I think they're, I wouldn't say they're all the same, but I think most of them are, are pretty motivated to obviously educate, right? They, you know, each team's brought in, as you mentioned, um, medical experts there to, you know, to answer any questions. And those have been, whether it be large groups or small groups, they're trying to create atmosphere so guys are comfortable asking questions, right? Like, I think even if you, even if you are strong-minded, you don't want to admit this. And I mean, obviously your teammates know, and, you know, maybe you don't want to ask questions. You're not comfortable challenging something in front of the team because there's a lot of that politics too, right? I mean, um, you don't really want, you know, the Bombers, for instance, are, are, are heavily encouraging their players to get vaccinated. Like, that's no secret. Now, like, no team can force anybody to do anything, um, but they are encouraging them to. Now, the, I think where the difference will lie and where, where at least one of, the, one of the things, and, you know, we might, might not get a bunch of numbers for everybody, but we will probably realize, as we saw today with Edmonton, um, there are going to be issues. So there are going to be some kind of clues that we get um, to me, I think the teams that are the most, like, you know, or the, have the highest vaccination rate probably is because at least in part, the key players are getting vaccinated. I yes. think there's some leaders in the room and, you know, I'm not going to go out and share guys' names or whatever, but there are some teams out there whose leaders, um, whether it be on, you know, whether it be in any phase of, of the game, you know, offense, defense, or special teams, there are, you know, guys with influence in the locker room that aren't vaccinated. So, when you do have guys who, you know, say your quarterback or say you know, your best player on defense get vaccinated or go through that process of being maybe unsure, because this does, as has happened, you know, they're unsure, then they, they're convinced and then they get the vaccine, that usually leads to other guys doing it. So I think what we're going to see here, um, particularly if, you know, if there are bigger issues with, with COVID protocols or, you know, heaven forbid, a, a, a COVID outbreak, is kind of that theme that okay this is the most vaccinated players well everyone is for the most part these ones well there's a couple key players on there that are still undecided and i think that allows for other players to feel comfortable to say no you know what you're 100 that you've seen it in the nfl like patrick mahomes was one of the first ones to come out and said look i'm gonna get vaccinated that team's got one of its highest rates the seattle seahawks totally. i believe 90 of 91 players that they have at camp right now are vaccinated and then you look at the flip side of Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, and he hasn't been and been outspoken, and them and Washington have the lowest vaccination rate. You're, you're spot on. As soon as someone within a highly skilled and leader on that team uh, steps up, I think that's when it's like, okay, if this person's doing it for the better of our team, uh, I think it's okay for us to do it as well.
Hey, Absolutely. Jeff, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, glad you enjoyed the game last night. Um, I'm super stoked to see CFL football back. Fans in the stadiums, uh, it's just, it's, it brings a smile to my face because it's something I think this country needs. Absolutely. Me too. It's been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, as always, appreciate being on and uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. You as well. Thanks, Jeff. That is Jeff Hamilton with the Winnipeg Free Press. It's funny he mentioned that with the teams because it's very equals what's happening in the United States, like I was mentioning. Yep. Right. Like you look at what's going on with the Minnesota Vikings and it's a it's a nightmare. It's a disaster. First of all, their coach is fully outspoken and he is just up fed up with what is happening with his teams. He's very pro-vaccination and he wants his teams to be like that because guess what? You have an outbreak and you're not 85% team capacity vaccinated. You forfeit the game. So not only in standings do you lose, you lose your paychecks and the other team loses their paycheck as well. So you're affecting both teams. So Mike Zimmer, like whether or not he's, it's pro-vaccination for him, it's he's pro-win. And his starting quarterback is speaking out against it. Yes. And I think the frustration level is it's just it's coming to a head and it might come to a head in uh, it, it's Kirk Cousins is not getting the vaccination. That is he's pretty steadfast in that. But where does that go from here with that team? Well, he uh, runs the risk then of uh, based on his actions, potentially his team not making a playoff spot. Or they're not being a quarterback group, right? Because yep. look at all those close contacts. Yeah, We mentioned yesterday in the show, he was willing to go to the extent of putting plexiglass around him in the quarterback room to avoid any sort of close contact. But it's like, you're still going to be close contact. We saw Denver play a game last year with a wide receiver who played, I think, college, maybe first year or maybe high school. I can't remember, but still. A guy who's not qualified to pay, play quarterback in the NFL playing a game. What do you think's going to happen with your franchise quarterback that's making gazillion dollars a year and now the entire position is out for a game? Yeah, and there, there's part of me that was thinking, would the CFL follow suit? of the same pressure to be putting on the teams. Hey, they have. If, so is that, that's locked yeah. in. So earlier this week they came out, Joe, and they said, same thing, 85% vaccination rate. If your team's not there and you can't play because of an outbreak, you forfeit and you forfeit your game checks. Hence why there's a few nervous Nellies in Northern Alberta yes. right now, because, uh, and in case you're just joining us, the Edmonton Elks, uh, released a statement last hour in preparation for their home opener against Ottawa. They said the team is continuing to prepare for tomorrow's scheduled home game against Ottawa. The club walkthrough schedule for today was canceled due to COVID-19 protocols, but players, coaches, and staff are at the facility in preparation for tomorrow's game. They're going to continue to follow the necessary steps to ensure health and safety of our players, coaches, and staff. Currently, we have no concern that the game will not be played. But we also know, Karen, that a lot can change hour by hour. Uh, and and what's being announced right now doesn't yeah. mean it's fact. Terry Jones, scribe in Edmonton, the legend. just said, until I see a depth chart, then I'll believe game is on. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Joey Kenward in for Scott Rintoul on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Karen has no idea who this is, everybody. <laughs> Not a, a look. You should see the look on her eye right now. It is... I'm assuming the song's called Golden Years. Yeah, good one, Tibbs. <laughs> Do you know what? Captain Listen, Obvious who is, is this nickname. song? Who's this voice? I have no idea. Are you going to fill me in? Uh, like, uh, remember the Rock and Roll Hall voice. of Fame? Like, this is a legend. He's... I can Google an air. No, please don't. 
<laughs> I can pull a mode and Google on air. Uh, David Bowie. Come on now. Okay. Cool. I'm not a big David Bowie fan. You, th- <laughs> you don't say. Okay, <laughs> so I'm not good at recalling a lot of things either. Like, even if I knew that, I'd probably take me, like, I would never be good on Jeopardy. Right? Like, it takes me a few moments to my brain to click in. So if you were to go back pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. bar trivia, music trivia. That'd be terrible. Oh, you're Just terrible. you're at the No Chance Motel. That's yes. where you're checking in. You don't in. want okay. me on your team. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm okay if I have a situation where you can, like, say it's trivia night, but you put it down on a piece of paper and you have, you know, five minutes to fill out five answers or whatever the case is. I can do that because the pressure's not on in the moment. But in the moment, it's just, I just don't have that quick re- recollection. Yeah. Also, I'm, too, don't ask me about movies because I've already been put on the bad list by Scott. I've never seen Karate Kid. I've never seen Braveheart. You could just go down the list of things that I've never seen. Big Lebowski. He's pretty, uh, he's pretty embarrassed that I've never seen that one that I'm his co-host. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, enough about me. Uh, let's talk about Team Canada. <laughs> the Golden Team Canada. Golden this Team morning. Canada. Uh, we've been talking about it all morning. We'll continue to talk about it because it's the biggest story in Canada right now. The fact that our Canadian women's soccer team are gold medalists the way they did it. They, 20-year-old Julia Grosso from Vancouver scored the game-winning goal in sudden, sudden death penalty kicks. They had gone past the five kickers. They were in the next round of kickers, and she managed to get it in. Uh, Canada had a score on another VAR Penalty kick awarded Joey in this one. Again, it's Jesse Fleming stepping to the dot, making no doubt about it to send it to that extra time. It's been an incredible morning. We've also got a bronze medal from Evan Dumphy in 50-kilometer speed walking. We have a silver medal by Mo Ahmed in the men's 5,000 meter. The way he did it, the kick he had on his final, what, 100 meters, 75 meters, Joe, to pass a couple of racers to get into that bronze, uh, silver medal spot. Also bronze by Andre and the men's 4 by 100 meter relay team. So this is the question we're going to pose to our listeners. Because 22 medals now, 6 gold. Most gold since Barcelona, 7 in 1992. We've now tied our most medal count in the Olympics. That's two times. We did it in um, last year in Rio, and we did it in Atlanta in 1996. Is this the most successful summer Olympics for Canada? And the options are, obviously, Barcelona because of the seven gold medals, most ever by Canada in a non-boycotted games. You've got Atlanta, the fastest man in the world, Donovan Bailey. You've got the 4 by 100 meter men's relay team winning gold. You've got 22 medals overall. Last year, Rio de Janeiro, 22 medals overall as well. Four gold medals. We saw the emergence of Penny Alexiak. We saw the emergence of Andre de Grasse and what was to come five years later. But it has to be this year. Say it with me now, everybody. 2020 Tokyo, the best performance by Team Canada. And you look at the results in the specific sports Mm -hmm. in no particular order. Margaret McNeil winning the 100-meter butterfly, which seems like an eternity ago when she did it in the pool. right? Yeah. Okay, way back at the beginning of the games. People have forgot about an Olympian that, first of all, they they haven't forgot because they'd never heard of her before, Mm -hmm. but she's been completely lost in the conversation. But Maude Sharon winning in women's weightlifting. First time a Canadian, I believe, has medaled. Yes. Female in weightlifting. Correct. Okay. Canada, which has been a dominant country in rowing, 
won for the first time in decades, if I'm not mistaken, in the women's eights. Mm-hmm. Gold. Gold. Okay. Um, Andre DeGrasse, who, by the way, is proving to be one of the greatest Olympians in our country's history, winter or summer. Any event he goes in, he medals, including gold winning in the 200. Canada women's soccer team this morning, third straight Olympic Games appearance, third straight podium finish today at the top. But to me, the one that really puts the cherry on top is Damian Warner. And only because he had to do it in 10 different events to get a gold medal. And not only was he atop the decathlon podium, he set an Olympic record for points gained in that competition. So yesterday we had the argument of which Canadian athlete or team is most memorable. I believe that's the term it was. And we use Penny Alexiak, of course, three medals in the pool, adding to her seven total overall. Andre DeGrasse at the time had only won two right. and won the game. So with the caveat of that, Damian Warner, top of mind, he had just finished winning gold medal in decathlon. And the Canadian women's soccer team, now we, again, they had not won gold, so it was before today's match, but they hadn't, they changed the color. They were going to win silver or a gold. I chose Damian Warner, which I think you would have too, just based on your oh, yeah. glorious explanation of the what he has done. Jamie chose Andre DeGrasse, and our judge, Art, our assistant program director at Sportsnet 650, went with Jamie. Damian Warner literally has to be the best in probably five or s- five five of those events. Five of the ten. He has to be the best in five of those events. And then he has to be near the top in probably three of them. And then four of them he has to just show well to be able to do what he has to do. Yeah. The fact that he did it and he set numerous personal bests or tied personal bests in these events. He set Olympic records, tied an Olympic record, which was his own record, I believe, something like that, in the 100 meters. The ability to do it over two days. Eleven hours they left the track. And they had to come back. Yeah. Oh. I'm just thinking to myself, how he literally has the title of world's greatest athlete. Yeah. And, how do you not win that? And by the way, he wasn't doing it in regular conditions. It wasn't like it was raining. It wasn't like it was just like in your low 20s or like with the humidity at track level, ballpark 40 degrees. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Like it was high 30s when you're on the track, whether it's throwing a discus, jumping the pole vault doing the high jump, the long jump, the sprints, the long distance running, the the javelin, whatever it is, excellence. Right? Excellence. And that's why, and I just listed off the gold medals, but like think of even some of the team events, and you mentioned Penny Alexiak, like, yeah, she won a bronze this year, okay, but she was a part of Canada's uh, swimming team, which won the 4x100 silver. In the free, yep. Right? Uh, Also, uh, winning... Uh, bronze mm-hmm. in the four by one medley relay, mm-hmm. like some of the team performances here as well. We had Peter Labardius on the show earlier, talked about the first team event one uh, outside of the water was Canada's softball team. That seems so long ago. Winning bronze, right? Canada women, uh, bronze and women's pairs uh, in rowing. Uh, Canada, the four by 100 meter relay event that we, we saw earlier this morning. Um, you know, the synchronized diving Canada, that was early on in the competition as well. Like that, again, so many great moments in our country's sporting history at the Olympics. And you go back and, and if what hasn't happened the last couple of days, if that didn't occur, I, I'm sticking with Atlanta in 92. Just because of the sensationalism of the two gold medals specifically too, right? 
Bailey's. Yes. Yes. Individually and as a four by 100 meter leg runner. Right. Like, and where he did it too. Like right in the deep south of the U.S. where everybody thought it was automatic that in the, if I go back and look, I know you were just a young kid at the time. Everybody thought, and Donovan Bailey said this, everybody thought going into this, it was going to be USA one, two, three. They weren't anywhere close to the top three in that race. I mean, they were close by like a couple hundredths of a second, but like, let's not split hairs. They didn't <laughs> even meddle on home soil in that event. And then were completely embarrassed by the Maple Leaf when uh, Bruni Surin passed the baton to, to Donovan and, and taking it home in uh, just dominating style. Um, yeah, but, but to me, what's happened in Japan, particularly the last couple of days, mm-hmm. um, and we just talk about how, and, and how they've done it. It's, it's especially today, All like the comebacks, the comebacks, four of them on one day. And, and we're going to talk more about Evan Dumphy as our program rolls along here. Like here's a guy that in the most grueling event possible, 50 kilometers walking, he was way back of the lead pack, and he, he I don't know how much time he must have made up, but to get a bronze medal finish the way he did was unreal. And then when the soccer game's going on, Mo Ahmed mm-hmm. passes, I think, five runners on the final lap of the 5K race to win silver. Mm-hmm. And then in the 4 by 100 when the baton gets passed to Andre DeGrasse, he's officially in fifth, but he blasts by the runners from China and Jamaica to get bronze. And then, of course, the comeback that helps Canada win gold. They're down 1-0 at half. They're down in the penalty shootout, but they find a way to come back and uh, get it done with their first ever gold medal in that competition. What has struck me a lot about these games, and we've had this conversation a lot over the last couple of days on this show, is the fact that, okay, Canada's not just this the little brother anymore to the United States. I mean, yeah, you can look at the medal count. It's fine. But the U.S. also qualified. They put a ton more money into their program. They've all got a ton more talent pool to choose from. For sure. Right? So, I mean, if you take away the amount of medals, but Canada's here to win medals. Joe, we're not here to say, like, okay, we're happy we're in the Olympics. Congratulations. And it's an incredible accomplishment, don't get me wrong, to be there. All of those athletes deserve all of the accolades. But look at some of the sports that we're doing it in. Some of the sports that are dominated by the Aussies and the Americans and countries that we have been chasing basically for numerous years and we're able to stand atop the podium and say, no, it's, this is Canada's game. Like, can we call soccer our game? Probably not quite there yet. Uh, need to get a little bit further with the men's program, which is on the rise, obviously. But it's just Canada now, you can stand up and be proud of... <laughs> That sounds wrong, but it's not more just proud to be there. It is, we are here to capture medals and go home victorious. There's only going to be 11 countries, potentially, and Canada still has some hardware to collect here, potentially, but there's only 11 countries as we speak right now, Karen, in the world that have won more gold medals at the Olympics than Canada, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Canada's got six gold right now. The leading country in that category, China far and away put in the most athletes in the summer games in all combined sports, even more than the U.S. But, you know, Canada's got 22 medals right now. That, you know, they that's going to have them just outside the top 10. Mm-hmm. And with all the with all these athletes from wherever they've come from uh, competing in, in Japan, like this is this has not been your typical preparation 
for a game. Many of them have had to have an extra year of preparation, which can throw an athlete off completely. Well, that's the incredible part because these athletes peak for every two years. You peak for the world championships and they peak for the Olympics. And the fact that you had to go through a pandemic and we know here in Canada, Australia, say as an example, they trained like normal because they were able to contain the virus and the hard lockdowns and what they did to that country, that continent, Joe. So they were able to fully train like it was a normal Olympic year, just one year removed. The United States has a lot more liberties when going to the gym, being able to train, access to facilities. Our Canadian athletes were, a lot of these provinces were in lockdown and the the government said, I don't care if you're an Olympic athlete or not, figure out a way to train because we're not going to give you any priorities. Like, And these athletes had to go out there. We talked to Brent Hayden. He literally was in his parents' backyard pool with resistance bands, yep. just training. It's because he had to stay in pl- place, right? You know, he didn't have a length pool to go swim at because it was closed. So I do think that we forget about some of the struggles over the last years too. So these Canadian athletes get through that and still come out on top. It's incredible. Had a message come into our 650-650 uh, instant message inbox. And you can also text us uh, at 960-960. Uh, and make sure you sign your name. Uh, this unsigned message says, if you consider popular Populations, Canada has the most medals per capita in these games. And that's fact. That's fact? That's fact. I just looked up the update to eight totals. So we're on top of the medal podium. <laughs> <laughs> you can look at it that way. But yeah, like when you look at the, the population yeah. that we as a nation are drawing from, it's pretty good total to this point. They're not done. I still think there might be another couple of medals up for grabs, uh, whether it's in diving, uh, mm-hmm. in... Canoeing, duo duo canoeing yep and uh, and possibly in the women's marathon so we'll see we just got a couple of days left of the olympics and and to your point that you mentioned earlier what is it two and a half week event but it's it, it's not dragged but i guess it's just the times that we're living in when it seems like it was months ago i know that canada softball team was uh winning a bronze medal uh, in japan hey greg let's get to the eye test interesting Important. Fine, it's not important. Or just idiotic. You idiot. It's time to take the eye test. Time for the eye test where we give eye words. Not I visually, but I, the letter I, to different topics, different stories that we are following around the world of sport. Greg, are you ready to participate in our show? I guess you can twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> what is the first I? The test? first I. Nick Saban is worth $85 million US. I mean, I just have to use the word impressive when I talk about this one. So Nick Saban just signed a new contract this year. He is worth $85 million. I got to pull the story up, so give me one second. Here we go. Um, well, first of all, no, he's not, but carry on. Go ahead. Worth more than $85 million. So he signed a new contract, eight-year contract worth at least $84.8 million. So get getting there. It makes him the first college coach in history to reach the $10 million annual mark. The funny thing about this, though, when you look at the, uh, the craziness around this salary, he's a government employee because the University of Alabama is a state. is a state school. It's not a private right. school. So his base salary will stay at $275,000 annually. That's his base salary because he's a government employee. But he gets a talent fee, quote-unquote talent fee, Joe, that will start at $8.82 million and grow by $400 million annually. Um, So by the year 2028-29, he'll be making, in his talent fee, uh, $11.5 million. I will say this. 
he has something called the Saban effect in terms of um, people going to the university. Since he started coaching at the University of Alabama, twice the amount of people have applied to go to that university. Oh, there's no question. Like, there is the Nick Saban effect that is more than just the football program, but people just want to be part of that university because of the fact their football program is number one in the country year after year. I'd say 99% of the players that go to play at that school want to play pro ball one day. I'm just talking about general applications. I, I, I know, though, but those that eventually play for the Crimson Tide, they want to make it to the NFL. The majority, of course, don't. Mm-hmm. But wrap your head around this. Nick Saban will be making more money combined himself than the majority of his athletes will make as professionals. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's getting paid <laughs> because, well, he delivers national titles. And I mean, oh, yeah. Hey, it's it's all about the money. It's down there. all about the money down there. College football season's kicking off around the corner. I believe it kicks off in three weeks' time. Greg, what do you got next? Andre DeGrasse as a perfect six for six in podium finishes. I, I'm not going to use the letter I. I'm going to use what you said. This eye-popping. That's an eye-popping stat. Any event that he's competed at for Canada at the Games, he medals. I'm, I'm going to one-up you. Okay. Every event he's competed and had a chance to win a medal in the World Championship, he's medal. He's yeah. nine, nine, ten for ten now. He can't miss, right? He can't miss. You think about it this year, uh, gold. In the 200 meters, uh, bronze this morning in the 4 by 100 and as well in the individual 100. Go back to 2016 in Rio, uh, had a bronze in the 100 and the 4 by 100 and a silver in the 200. Um, and the way he's done it, especially this year, uh, in the 100 and in the uh, race this morning, He's had to do it coming from behind. He's had to chase. He's not been the 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 guy that they're chasing. Like he's worked every inch of that track to get onto the podium. Well, and he's also got the short end of the stick in terms of lane re- assignments. He, he's been in nine so many times yeah. in the heats for the two hundred, in the semifinal for the two hundred. He was in lane nine in the semifinal for which is basically the heats for the 4 by 100 the Canadian team was in heat 9. I'm like, what did you guys do? Although I will say this, in that particular event, that's not a a bad spot to be in. You know why? You don't have to worry about looking at anybody in front of you. You've got to you've got to have the mentality that you're the one being chased. Even if you're not. But I think when he comes on the outside and that and that's why which was so impressive for him to make up that ground in the semifinal to get them in and why the Americans completely blew it finishing fifth in a race where a team and I think it was there was out of eight teams in that race there were two that wound up being disqualified because of bad oh Japan dro- Japan dropped the baton uh well, today they... Oh, you mean today, yeah. Today, but in in the qualifiers, okay, uh, Turkey missed out and another country missed out, and, and that should have... It should have been money in the bank for the Stars and Stripes to get in. Oh, yes. Um, however, having said that, I think Andre de Grasse had something to say about that as well, because his, his anchor run, not only today, but to get Canada into the final, uh, certainly put him again into a conversation as one of Canada's top athletes. Greg, what else we got? Well, I know this isn't a judge segment, but I got to dock Joey a point there. Eye-popping does not start with I. I, I so. said that. I said <laughs> he did, that. He did qualify it. We're okay, not We're okay. not too strict here on the Rintoul and Sermon show. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. 
We won't speak for Scott. He's not here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, Karen, American sprinter Allison Felix has made history. This is important. Now, I just want to talk about the history she made and then talk about what came before this. So, Allison Felix, we usually don't celebrate American athletes, but it's pretty impressive. What she has done is she took home her 10th medal to become the most decorated woman in Olympic track and field history. Not just American history, just in Olympic track and field gold history. Or Olympic track and field history, six golds, three silver, one bronze. Three years ago, in 2018, she decided to have a family. She has a daughter. Beautiful little daughter, three years old now. Nike offered a contract to her that was 70% less and had no guarantees if her performance declined due to pregnancy. So she left Nike and signed with Athleta, which is owned by Gap, which also owns like Old Navy and Banana Republic. She has a two-year-old daughter, just about to turn three, just won her 10th Olympic gold or Olympic medal. The best part, after this happened and Nike did all these things and she left and she publicly outed them. She's like, look, yep. this company is going to drop me and not pay me because I'm a mother. <laughs> Nike then implemented a new policy. All of Nike contracts now are guaranteed athlete pay. They're, so they're guaranteed plus bonuses for 18 months around pregnancy. So the fact that she is, it's incredible first that they dropped her to start. Joe, she had nine Olympic gold medals prior to this. She is the face of track and field in the United States. She is such a marketable person. The fact that they did this and said, no, we're going to pay you less and then not guarantee any of this if your performances decline because you became a mom and then Nike had to go back on their way and change exactly all their business practices towards their athletes, specifically female athletes who are pregnant. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think when you hear all of that and then when you hear the fact, mother or not, but a 35-year-old woman in a sport which is dominated by those in their 20s mm -hmm. that she goes out and collects another medal today as you mentioned in the 400 yeah she got bronze most decorated female athlete in that country's history in track and field period like think she's better than carl lewis michael johnson like uh, i mean it's it's how any any brand or corporate, first of all, how any brand or corporation would not want to align with somebody like that. Right. Uh, makes you shake your head. Take it a step further. How anybody that had been affiliated and using them as an endorsement uh, individual face and name to help promote your product. Why you'd want to leave that person just makes you shake your head even more. Yeah, yeah, money, uh, politics and money, Joey. They make you shake your head. One more. We got a quick one for one more, Greg, quickly. Can we get one more quick? Oh, we got a break. Okay. I've been told Hey, we by... got a big guest coming up here. So we, we gotta, do. We, gotta get we do. Hey, paid. Calgary. It's been a week. Thanks for joining us for the last four days. We had Monday off. Uh, enjoy the Stamps game this weekend. We're going to turn it over to the big show. We'll talk to you again on Monday morning. Have a great weekend. Vancouver Big Hour coming up. We'll start with a former Canuck that is making La La Land his new home come this fall. That guest is up next on Rintoul and Sermon with Joey Kenward in for a vacation. He's Scott Rintoul. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Greg is still got, he's killing it still. Golden by Harry Styles. And no, I did not know that one. Don't give me that. I didn't. Greg said it in my ear. I'm going to take full credit. I'm not going to lie to the listener. And the first line, golden as I open my eyes. How many West Coasters were waking up to gold medal this morning? Oh, Greg. You're so good. Such a great boy. 
He's actually been okay today. Like some of the material he's pulled out of his hat has not been bad. Well, you you two are rivaling each other right now. Although I think uh, this that... might be the first and last time Harry Styles will be heard on the Sportsnet radio network. But that's that's got okay. Some good stuff. We could go back to like One Direction. That's even better. Uh, but I won't get into my love for boy bands on this show. <laughs> uh, it is Rintoul and Sermon. One final hour to go before we hit you. Hit we hit the weekend. Um, maybe not for our listeners quite yet, but it's been a pretty big show today so far, Joey. We got to come in. Joey Kenward, sorry, sitting in for Scott Rintoul. We got to come in today. Basically, in our entire show, we got to talk about just fawn over Canada and how great we are at athletics and how great we are at Canadian so- at women's soccer right now because we took home gold this morning, bright and early. I hope our listeners got up to watch it. It would have been an early 5 a.m. alarm clock time. I know you and I did. I listened to the over- overtime. Extra time. <laughs> it's, that's so North American of me. So North American of me. I listened to the extra time as Canada ended up winning in a shootout over Sweden. And right now we're going to actually head to Sweden to talk with... LA Kings defenseman, Alex Edler. Alex, good afternoon, good evening for you. Is it a little weird to hear me introduce you as that? Yeah, that sounds a little bit different for sure. <laughs> yeah. Were you, um, were your eyes on the TV today watching Sweden play Canada in the gold medal game? Yeah, I watched. I didn't catch the whole game, but I watched the ending. I watched the uh, the penalty sh- kicks there, uh, and you know, I thought it looked really good there. I think they had two times, two chances to to win it, but Alex. you know, that's what happens. And uh, yeah, obviously, Canada played great, and they deserved it. I, I know we're going to talk about hockey here in a moment, but I I've known you for a long time. You're a big sports fan. You, you love soccer, you love all different sports. As a, a person back home, is the experience of watching the Olympics any different than what we would be accustomed to here in Canada? You've been in this country a long time when Olympics have been uh, on television. What's the hype like in Sweden at this time for, for the Olympics taking place in Japan? Uh, I actually... You don't notice it too much here, and I think it's mostly because it's in like not at a great time uh, of the day. It kind of starts in the middle of the night here, and then you can catch it in the morning when uh, a lot of people don't really have the time to watch TV. So uh, I wish it was on more in the afternoon and and later at night. But uh, you know, I've tried to to watch the the Swedish things that I'm interested in. But I, you know, usually during the Olympics, I like to just have it on, and you you know, you, you watch everything. But it's been a little bit more difficult this time. Alex, is it sunk in yet that you're not going to be coming back in the fall? I know you're coming back to Vancouver in the fall. You told Ian McIntyre with Sportsnet that you're going to have to come back and clean out your house that you have here. But is it sunk in that you're not going to be in Canucks colors when puck drops in October? Uh, yeah, it'll be different. I think uh, I think it will really sink in when I get back to Vancouver. Uh, right now, when you're in Sweden, you're kind of away from everything. Uh, but I th- return to Vancouver and then realizing that I'm going to LA after that, then I think I feel a little bit uh, weird, but uh, yeah, also exciting, I think. Can you fill our listeners and Canucks fans in on, on what the process was like for you uh going into free agency i know there, there's there's at at this time of year so much talk 
from those that aren't on the inside that really don't know what happens between player and organization. Can you can you fill our fans in as to to what the experience was like for you uh, and and how the decision eventually uh, came to a resolution? Yeah, I mean, I've never been in the situation before going into free agency, uh, being a free agent. So, uh, you know, I I kind of t- wanted to try it out and see what was out there. And, you know, it's, you know, a lot had to do with the decision. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I think it was just time for, for me to to consider trying something else. And, uh, you know, I wanted to see if there was anything out there. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was a, a very different experience. Uh, you know, a little bit stressful. Uh, I'm sure that everyone feels when they go into that. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I, I, I had a conversation with Vancouver and then, you know, I, I, I had an offer from there uh, and I, I, I think I knew kind of what the offer would be uh, before. Uh, but I told them that, no, I wanted to, to kind of see what was out there, and uh, and you know, showed showed great interest, uh, and and they really showed that they they wanted me, and that I could be a, a part of of their team, and you know, uh, in all kinds of situation, and helping out as a leader and things like that. So, you know, that uh, turned out to be a, a good option for me. Last season was such a frustrating one for you and everybody inside the Canucks organization, a year where you don't make the playoffs, a year where so many people were affected by uh, uh, COVID-19. Did just the way things played themselves out last year, did did that sort of leave you with thinking that when you were going into free agency that, hey, maybe it is time for me to to look at another opportunity? Or, Or did last year really even play any part into you making the decision you eventually did? Well, I think last year was, uh, I don't know, like for me and our team, I don't think anyone was happy with last year. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it was just a weird year too. You know, I didn't uh, feel, uh, I didn't have as much fun as I've had before playing hockey. And, uh, you know, I know last year was a different year, but I don't know, maybe that had something to do with the decision too. I just, you know, I think uh, it was uh, just something that I felt uh, that I wanted to try something new. And uh, I felt it was just, it's not just me, it's my family too. You know, it's a family decision, obviously, when you have kids. Uh, but I think uh, uh, it was just time for us to, to try something new. Alex, you were drafted by the Canucks. You spent your entire career here. You made your debut in a Canucks uniform in 2006 when you were 20 years old. How do you reflect on your years here in Vancouver with the organization? I mean, I have so many good memories from from all those years. It's been it's been a long time, and I've been so fortunate to to be able to play and play an important role uh, in in the Canucks organization and. You know, I'm forever thankful for everything the organization's done for me. The city, you know, uh, it's been it's been a great home for me, and you know, I've started a family there. So I, you know, there's <clears throat> I don't know, there's so many things, so many memories, uh, you know, so many players and coaches and staff that uh, meant so much to me. So you know, looking uh, when I look back at at my time uh, with the Vancouver Canucks and in Vancouver, it's just uh, just 
great experience and uh, you know I, I couldn't have asked for more from from the city and from the organization former Vancouver blue liner now LA Kings defenseman Alex Edler joining me Joey Canward and Karen Sermon here on Rintoul and Sermon on Sportsnet 650 I know it's a ways away but have you at all looked at the schedule and and thought about what it's going to be like when when the Kings are are at Rogers Arena and and you're walking down the hallway past the Canucks locker room to to go into the visitors room I haven't thought too much about it but it's yeah definitely popped up in my mind and you know I think it's going to be it's going to feel weird it's going to feel I don't know really what it's going to feel like to be honest with you but it's going to be it's going to have some kind of weird feeling uh and I don't know if I look forward to it or I don't know we'll see when when that day comes but it's going to be a different feeling Alex, did you reach out to maybe uh, Ryan Kessler or Kevin Bieksa prior to making this decision about and to talk to them about what it's like to play hockey in Southern California and the different lifestyle that you'll be living down there? Uh, I didn't talk to them now. I, I mean, I've talked to them before about, uh, you know, when they were down there and, and things like that. Uh, and and I've, I've talked to a lot of different people, uh, th- former players that that I've gotten to know over the years that have tried different, that have been in different places uh, just to, you know, it's always good to, to get their side of everything. Uh, but uh, no, I don't really know uh, exactly what it's going to be like, but you know, the people that I've talked to, I, I've only heard good things about living uh, in LA and, and, and the lifestyle down there. So uh, like we're, we're as a family, we're very excited to try that out. Alex, when we look at this LA Kings team, they basically in a few years, in the past few years, have been tearing it down until this season when they basically decided it's time to start building things back up. When you look at the team, it's got a lot of young talent, high draft picks. Is that something that appealed to you when deciding to go there? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, <clears throat> looking at their team, like they have uh, those core players that have been there for a while there that's uh, obviously performing at a high level and you know they got a lot of young talent like you say that's very interesting and uh and hopefully you know they have some young defensemen and hopefully i can you know help them out and uh, and i think the team is looking very interesting uh so i think they're they're starting to uh, go the right way now and and uh, i think uh you know it could be a very interesting team this season alex you're 35 years old um you've signed a one-year deal in LA how much hockey do you have left how, how, how long do you want to play for um, there's obviously some personal milestones that a lot of people look at and say man he'd love to get to 100 goals or he'd love to get to a thousand games do you, do you even think about that stuff or, or do you just take things literally game by game and, and one day at a time uh, well I think uh, you know being 35 I don't think you can it's it's hard for me to look at uh, too many years forward, but, uh, you know, as long as my body feels good, you know, I want to keep playing. Uh, I still love the game and I still, you know, like the competing and winning. So, uh, you know, there, uh, the milestones like hundred goals, I don't really, I don't really care about the number, you know, you always want to score goals and help, t- help the team. But, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm looking a year ahead, like a year at a time right now. And, you know, then you obviously you, you you divide that year into just taking you know day at, day at a time and things like that. But uh, I think it's uh, 
I, I, I want to keep playing as long as I can, as long as my body feels good and as long as I think it's fun. Hey, Alex, uh, 15 incredible years in the Vancouver Canucks organization. I know I speak for a lot of fans in this city, and thank you for your time today. Thank you for your time over the last 15 years. Congratulations on this new deal with Los Angeles, and uh, it'll be weird, but we'll look forward to seeing you in the fall in an LA Kings jersey. All right, thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Alex. That is former Canucks blue liner, and current LA Kings defenseman Alex Edler. Yeah, it's, it's difficult probably right now because he signed the deal on the dotted line, you know, but hasn't been to Los Angeles, just flew back from Vancouver to Sweden for the summer. You know, you sign it, but he's got to come back here to Vancouver, not for training camp, but to pack up his house. Yeah, and we really appreciate him uh, taking time out of his schedule. He's right. He's talking to us down the, the digital lines uh, from Stockholm, Sweden. Um you know, this has, I'm sure, been a roller coaster ride of a summer for him and his family. When you look at what he's accomplished for this organization, mm-hmm. you just can't help but think he's the greatest D man in team history. Leads all Vancouver Blue Liners in the following categories games played, 925, goals, 99, assists, 310, and points, 409. Um, he was he was getting into the territory, and I, I, I thought that when this season started, and even when I thought that it ended, that somehow, someway, he might find his way back into Vancouver's locker room right. next season. A lot, of had, a lot had to happen for that to occur. Obviously, it didn't. But, you know, there's only one Swedish-born defenseman in the history of the NHL that's played more games for the same team Nick before Lidstrom. retiring, Nick. and that's Nicholas Lidstrom. Nick Lidstrom, yeah. Like, we're not comparing the players by their talents and their resume and all that they've yeah. accomplishments, but we're in that same conversation about longevity with the same team. But it speaks to the individual when you're in compared to this, the great Nick Lidstrom. Yeah. I mean, I think it just speaks to the individual. Uh, it's going to be weird. I didn't get a chance to ask him, but I'm like, what's it going to be like playing now with Dustin Brown? <laughs> Or, Andre Kopitar, Drew Doughty. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it must be weird with the first time he walks into that locker room. But it's the same thing that Kevin Bieksa would have had yeah. when he had to go against uh, Getzlaff and Perry for all those years, and then all of a sudden he's teammates with them. Uh, Kessler, the same, right? right? Going down to Anaheim. Uh, the one thing about Alex, though, and, and again, he's not the most outspoken individual, but he is a... F- and, and I'll tell you right now, you ask anybody that's played in the Canucks organization the last 15 years, one of the most fierce competitors inside that locker room that they've stepped onto the ice with is the guy that wore number 23. A quiet leader, a guy that, you know what, talk to people around the league outside Vancouver, they don't like playing Alex Edler and haven't. Now maybe as he's 35, hey, it's obvious he's... Slowed down a little bit. Yeah, foot speed's not quite there. Foot speed's nowhere near what it was even three or four years ago. But the game's a lot faster than it was three or four years ago too, right? Um, this guy competes. This guy's battled through injuries. This guy is a consummate pro. And I think if you're the LA Kings, and you mentioned they've gone through a youth movement, they've got some old timers inside that locker mm-hmm. room, Dowdy, Kopitar, Quick, Brown. But he's going to walk into that locker room and all of a sudden, if I'm not mistaken, he's the oldest guy inside that locker room, just like he was here in Vancouver. LA's gone through even more of a youth movement than what Vancouver has the last couple of years. Uh, so Dustin Brown's 36. 
Okay, so that's what I mean. He's he's not the oldest, but he's yeah, oldest close. D-man for sure, but he's right up there. We like to get things right on yes. the show, Joey. But I mean, you know, there's a guy that, if you're yep. Todd McClellan behind the bench, that's, I think, the type of guy you want to have as that team tries to get it turned around in the right direction. Absolutely. They've got, obviously, some incredible leaders on that team. It's There's no doubt about it. Two-time Stanley Cup champions on that team. But to add an Alexander Edler, obviously, to be still playing in the NHL at 35, yeah, you mentioned the fact the foot speed's not there anymore, but to still be a viable part of an organization um, at 35-year-old just shows that the hockey sparts is still there. So uh, for him to go to L.A., it's going to be weird, like I said, uh, but, you know, sometimes you have to do it. You have to move on. It was it was interesting to hear, though, it was a decision for his family and team, and he just understood that it was time. And we don't know what deal the Vancouver Canucks put in front of him, Joey, so I can't say, you know, if it was lowballing or whatever the case may be. But obviously he just made the decision that, L.A. was a better fit for him. Well, there's no. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. If the Canucks were going to have Alex Edler here, he would have had to take a major haircut in contract from what he had been making. And he makes a solid now 3.5 still for the next I'd year. I'd be shocked if they were anywhere close in that ballpark for offering Edler. Keep in mind, they've still got other guys they've got to pay, right? Another this, Swedish... Uh, yeah, a- and another defenseman on top of that. So... If he was going to be here, it would be on your quote-unquote hometown discount. Didn't happen. Doesn't sound like there's any hard feelings whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you haven't done so yet, uh, check out sportsnet.ca. Our own Ian McIntyre uh, spoke with Alex yesterday, had an article and column posted uh, yesterday afternoon. But this was the first official time we've actually heard mm-hmm. Edler talk publicly on air before anybody else in the marketplace. So we uh, we thank him for that and, and can't help uh, but wish him uh, a healthy, continued career no matter how long. I don't know how much hockey he's got left in him. I really don't. Um, and maybe that's why LA only offered him a one-year deal, even uh, at a price that would be a little higher than what Vancouver was offering him. But if he can keep playing and if he can keep getting offered contracts, I don't think he's going to be hanging them up anytime soon. Um, just some news that's coming in. We've had a lot of news that's coming in from... The sporting world today, Mohamed Bufasi, um, a reporter, a football reporter, Joey, just tweeted out that Lionel Messi has chosen to join PSG two years plus one on, on an option for a contract. The club is looking to wrap up the signing over the weekend, is set to meet with Jorge Messi. I'm guessing that's his probably his dad and agent over the next few hours. So we heard the news yesterday that Lionel Messi and Barcelona had a contract in place that they wanted to sign. It allowed, I think Messi was taking a 50% pay cut, but he was still going to be paid like, what, $300 million or something like that? Like, it's just ridiculous. But I thought, and Jamie was the first one to point out, like, is this some sort of tactical announcement by Barcelona? Because basically they blamed the structure of La Liga and the contract and cap structure that they couldn't sign him. Basically, so it's like a posturing thing. Like, if you want to keep Messi in La Liga, you guys need to figure it out because we have a deal in place. But you guys need to kind of figure out yeah. the rules and change the rules for us so we can keep them. Reports that he might be going to PSG. Um, who knows where this will go? I still have no idea. Until he signs on the dotted line somewhere and he's in a jersey next year is probably when I'll believe that Lionel Messi will be somewhere else other than Barcelona. But that's the latest news coming right. in. Right. And for if you're not a diehard soccer fan, yeah, you know Barcelona and Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, like those are three powerhouse teams from the Spanish top flight league. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they can spread the wealth out a little bit there. In France, there's only one big powerhouse, and that's Paris Saint-Germain. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me at all 
that Messi and PSG are linked together. And if he's going there, then that all of a sudden makes things a whole lot more interesting at the Champions League level. I mean, they, that team, let's put it this way, that team has to work really, really hard to lose their division. <laughs> they do. They have to work extremely hard to not win a French title. They still have Mbappe, correct? I believe and they do. And of they course, still have Neymar. Neymar correct. Jr., yep. So oh, let's just add just Messi an to embarrassment the... of riches there, for sure. Yeah, in the striker position. Must be rough. Uh, one more segment in the book one more segment to go oh and i can't wait for our next guest because we could run the gauntlet we could have rapid fire questions for our next guest and he'll hit it out of the park i was gonna say we're leaving the best for last don't tell him you said that (laughs) i'm sure he's listening right now this is rintoul and sermon one final segment on this friday joey kenward in for scott rintoul now that's back to rintoul and sermon i don't care if i uh talked over the voice that's more like it so Greg says to me in the break a couple of breaks ago, he goes, I'm running out of gold songs. I'm like, doesn't Kanye have one? He's like, yeah, but I mean, the title, it's called Gold Digger. And I'm like, I don't care. It's got a good beat. Find the instrumental version. Well, we got the actual version, but it's a good, t- it's a good tune. Oh, man. This-, this is when Kanye was putting out stuff before, he, you know. We're just, we're celebrating different kind of gold diggers <laughs> today. A different kind. Good stuff. Rental on Sermon. Ken Ward spoke over the big voice there. Scott Rins was on vacation. He's got one more week of vacation. Like you're, we need to figure. You're kidding. I need to figure out who his agent is and got that contract. Wow. So Although he, he's away three weeks in a row. He's away during the Olympics. Yeah. And and as you know, he loves the Olympics. Mm-hmm. He's been tweeting about it this morning. So he, Scott he's been gone during the Olympics. He's been gone during uh, the NHL draft. Been gone. During uh, free agent frenzy, I was gone during that week too. Oh, you so were gone. Yeah, I, we both took that one off. Okay, yeah, and and uh, NHL expansion. Are you guys, hey. No, we were here for for expansion. And then you bailed. That happened on the Thursday. Then the draft was on the Friday. Uh, the expansion. We're just oh, we're so splitting the hairs here. It was Wednesday, Wednesday, and then you guys you guys pulled the shoot after that. And that's fine. Hey, it's well, Scotty pulled the shoot for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this though, I think I picked a better week to go on vacation because when he comes back. I'm actually gone for a week, heading back to the motherland, Manitoba. Yes. First time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> during COVID, because you couldn't travel, couldn't see anything, I haven't seen my parents in 18 months. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm going back and seeing them for the first time, seeing some friends and family. Should be super excited. But I picked the week where there's nothing going on. Nah, smart. <laughs> really, really smart. I mean, next week's going to be a little tough to get through. But, you know, you got the post-Olympics. You can maybe get some Olympic guests on. Yes, of course. First week CFL. But then the week after that, it's like... You just got to figure out show topics. And then we get ready to ramp it up for uh, training camp. Right. Which I think is only six weeks away. <laughs> um, yeah. But, hey, all of you all of you guys get deserved downtime because uh, it's full throttle here once we get into hockey season. Yes. And that's not going to be any different when the team opens up training camp in Abbotsford in uh, mid-September. And then uh, they start playing for keeps. Uh, first full weekend of October should be uh, should be a lot of fun. Big uh, thank you again to Alex Edler for yes. joining us. Uh, that was an exclusive interview we had here uh, before anybody else in the marketplace uh, on air. Uh, and uh, again, just weird hearing him talk about not preparing to play for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. But but just it's it's going to seem weird when he's playing at Rogers Arena and not wearing a Vancouver uniform. Yeah, it's going to be black and silver. It's just going to be. And, and I I don't say this. Um, I never thought that a guy like Ryan Kessler or a guy like uh, Kevin Bieksa 
based on the way today's NHL is like, I, I didn't think those individuals would go wire to wire in their career only playing in Vancouver. Right. Right? See how often it happens with any player in the league right now? Canucks or otherwise? 22 and 33 come to mind, but that's it in this market. I didn't have Edler in that same category, though. I thought he was going to go tip to tail playing for Vancouver. It's not happening, and that's why it just seems still a little odd that we're referring to him as an L.A. King. It does. That's why I asked him off the top. Like, does it seem real yet? Does that seem a little odd, me saying? You know, you're, here's L.A. King's defenseman, Alex Edler. Uh, an incredible career. Uh, we thank him for joining us from Stockholm, Sweden. A little bit of a delay there because he was, you know, half a world away. Uh, 7 p.m., I think, uh, in Stockholm right now. So we thank him for that, and we thank our next guest for... Taking some time to join us today, it is Steve Ewan with the Vancouver Province. Steve, how are you doing t- today? I'm a, I am outstanding. I love me some Karen Sermon. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. There you that. go. There you go. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Hey, Joe. Hi. Well, I'll start then. I'll start. <laughs> go ahead. It's all you, Karen, apparently. Go <laughs> ahead. I'm just here for the ride. Steve, I don't know if you got a chance to catch our interview with Alex Edler. I mean... Very quiet, understated. Uh, when you unassuming. Sp- unassuming, yeah, when you speak to him. Like when you just think back on Alex Edler, 15 years of the Vancouver Canucks, and now he's going to play down uh, in La La Land. Like, what, just what comes to mind when you think of Alex Edler as a Vancouver Canuck? I think he was just one of those really steady guys that you always kind of knew what you'd get and never, never said very much and never got very excited, but was a great comic, you know, kind of calming uh, poised guy for that for that backhand. I, I he's had a great run here, and I, I you know he really is he the best D man they've ever had? Maybe I think him and Oland and Lume are certainly in that mix right now. I think Quinn Hughes will overtake them all, but I think right now today, I think Edler Edler has to be you know has to be in that talk. You know, Steve, you and I had a chance to see Edler when he first started playing in North America, and that was, what, 16 years ago now, if not more, when he was playing with the, the Kelowna Rockets when, whenever we saw them play the Vancouver Giants. And you can tell back then as teenagers when guys have it, when they've got the ability to one day have a long pro career. I, I don't know when I recall watching him with the Rockets. It's not like he stood out amongst everybody as like a dominant defenseman. That like does it surprise you that when you look back from then until now that that he's been able to play in the league this long and have that much success with with just one single team? A little bit. I I didn't think that he had had one elite carrying tool. I think he was good at a lot of things. I don't think he was great at anything. You know, any one thing. I I just think he was so steady and so consistent. And, you know, he, he never really. There weren't the peaks and valleys, you know, in his game, particularly as a young guy that that you're so so used to seeing back back at that age. Let's move on to today because it's been an incredible Something day. Something happened, didn't it? <laughs> Please tell me you set your alarm too, right, Steve? I was there. Awesome. Okay, so five o'clock this morning, Canada takes to the pitch. If our listeners want to watch it right now, it's over on CBC the replay. But. The way that that game started and then Sweden getting the first goal, Joey just said to me off air here, <laughs> I'm going to kind of throw him under the bus, but he's like, I kind of thought that was over. And my partner back home said the same thing. He's like, oh, no. I think a lot of the people in well, this country thought it was over when Sweden went up. Yes, nothing. the way that the Swedens were pressing at that point, And then just the way 
tactically that Canada make, made a switch in the second half and maybe it had to do with some exhaustion and heat that Bev Priestman was seeing. Maybe it was because of the fact that she needed to get some more offensive players on the pitch, but I thought it was a very important tactical change that she made at the second half that ended up leading Canada to at least getting that tying goal. You saw, yeah, like you saw the jump change. You saw there was a momentum switch and suddenly uh, Sweden had it all and then it jumped to Canada's side. So I, I think I, 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 I think there are times where coaches get too much credit. I don't, I, I think she, she had a lot to do with what happened today and, and getting Canada over, you know, over that last hump. I think, <clears throat> I think it would have been easy for that group to fold and, and say, okay, you know, here we go again. You know, we're going to be, we're not going to get, you know, get to that top of the mountain. I think she, I would guess it that she had a real role in, in, you know, keeping them on task and kind of, you know, getting them, getting them going in the right direction. I think you bring up a good point because you're right. She's in a key game breaking moment, which is drawing a foul, which leads to the penalty kick, which leads to the tying goal. But then she gets subbed off late in the match. And I think it's a testament, not only in this particular game, but in the development of that entire national women's program that on the biggest stage at the biggest event that they didn't need their best player to put them over the hump. They've come a long way in developing players. They've come a long way into putting young players in big time, big threat situations. And today they rose to the occasion. And that's a good thing considering we may have seen the best player in the sport have played their final game uh, for their country here today. I, 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 I think you're seeing, you know, the Flemings and the Grossos, and I think you're seeing, I think it was part of a shift to this next next generation. And I, I think that, I, I think it's the beginning of excitement. I, I think things are, you know, only going to go up from here. And I, I, I think you're going to see uh, women, I, I think women's soccer takes another leap. And I, I like, like you're starting to hear, I, I think the, the next level for them is to get some sort of league league in Canada, some sort of legit professional league in Canada. We're talking with Steve Yugen from the Vancouver province. Steve, you tweeted out this uh, story yesterday, and I retweeted it today, and it's written in the National Post by Kevin Mitchell. And the cu- first couple lines say, packed on a bus were five staffers, 16 players on Canada's first ever women's soccer team, and hand-me-down uniforms previously worn by the men's squad. This is back in 1986. The headline over the Canadian press story a few weeks later read, National women's soccer team long on potential, short on cash, and so it was that players tried to find a fit with those man-sized jerseys. From where that program was in 1986, I don't think people understand because a lot of us look at kind of 2012 at least my age group look at 2012 and how Christine Sinclair kind of changed the program and changed the grassroots level a little bit but this program started off with really lean times didn't it yeah I I don't think we realize how far women's sport in general but women's soccer in particular has come in this country I mean there's there's at least two of us involved in this call right now that, you know, remember 1986. So it's, I'm sorry. I was only four. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I was, I was six, but I had a really good memory. And um, yeah, it's, it, I think it's amazing. I think it's a testament to, to what the Sinclairs and, and, and the, the Andrea Neals and the Brittany Timcos and, uh, you know, go on and on what, you know, what they've done and, and, and where they've taken this thing. And, 
again, I, I think it's, I, I think this is another launching point. I think a year from now, we're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised at where, where things have gone, how, you know, how they've gone up a, a whole other level. Uh, you followed the career of many of those players, especially those that are based in in British Columbia and specifically in the in the Lower Mainland, but none more so than than Christine Sinclair. If this was the final game, and I I don't necessarily think that it is, uh, but if this is turned out to be the final time she plays for Canada, what is her everlasting legacy? Not only on soccer in this country, but on sports in Canada. Oh, I, I, she's the best player. She's the best player that Canada will ever see, probably. And and I, I think she, I I remember covering her in high school in '99 and 2000, and she was already playing national team games, and she still wanted to be a part of the Burnaby South high school program. So I think that said something about where she was and how, just the way her mind worked, and and, and how she really wanted to be a part of teams and and things meant something to her i remember asking her back then like why are you doing like you don't have to do this and she's like no i want to be with my friends i want to be part of something so i i I think she's had that in her intrinsically forever so i i I think she's taught particularly the the women's soccer program but i think all i think anyone who's paid attention they taught about leadership and and team Team values. I, I, I think she's. Yeah, I, I, I it will be, it will be a, a a bittersweet day when she's done because I, I think it'll be good for her to move on and, and, and you know, being that she wants to move on. But I, I don't think we'll ever see anybody quite quite like Christine Sinclair. I'm sure you saw on Twitter, Steve, the video that Abby Wambach, the American great, uh, put out just congratulating Christine Sinclair, but not just that, saying congratulations to a well-deserved program. And she mentioned Charmaine Hooper and Melissa Tancredi, among uh, um, some others that have come through this program and get to celebrate a gold medal. But I think it's a testament to the, we know how great Christine Sinclair is in this country, but, you know, when other countries and other athletes of different nationalities are respecting it too, it just shows how, you know, she resonates more than with just us. Yeah, I, I I just think what she's done and the way she's done it and how long she's done it and I I think it's uh, just such a a massive achievement and the fact that she seems very even keeled through all you know through all of it that she could have gone uh, gotten a little full of herself and that you know doesn't feel like it's ever happened. Steve Ewan from the province joining Joey Kenward and Karen Sermon here on Rintoul and Sermon on Sportsnet 650. All right, uh, fantastic performances today uh, from British Columbia athletes. We mentioned Christine Sinclair, uh, Julia Grosso, the uh, shootout winning hero uh, just at the age of 20, capturing gold for Canada. There's another lower mainland athlete that hit the medal podium uh, on Friday, and it came early on in the day. And that was one of the most remarkable individual comebacks I've ever seen at any Olympic Games from any Canadian athlete. You have followed and interviewed Evan Dunphy from Richmond for many, many years. Uh, What did you think of his performance in the 50-kilometer race walk to clinch a bronze medal for Canada? 
Oh, I just I I remember you know he's he's such a likable guy and such an outspoken guy and such such a well-spoken guy and has, has kind of done wonders for his sport to get it some some uh, attention and I when they started to pull away from him going into that kind of basically last lap I thought oh that's too bad and, and I felt bad for him and I remember you know I like everybody I was watching the watching the CBC feed and I remember thinking you know because and, and they had kind of already based the commentators had uh, proclaimed the, the the silver and bronze bronze medal winners with uh, a few hundred a few hundred meters to go I remember th- thinking that, that's weird it, it, that kind of looks like Dumphy ahead of that guy no it can't be he's he must be lapping someone who looks like Dumphy and no sure enough he came out of nowhere in those in that you know last stretch there to win I, I think I, I, I again that's just one of those Olympic moments that four years from now eight years from now 12 years from now we're, we're still going to be talking about and it's a race walk which isn't the most you know the most uh highly highly pop you know most popular sports but I, I think he's done that I think I, I'd be fascinated to see what CBC's ratings were yesterday because it just from my from my Twitter timeline, it felt like everybody was watching. Yeah, and and he's an interesting character away from the sport, isn't he? Because in, and it's it's interesting you follow him on Twitter at Evan Dunphy this morning, and and this I just find this remarkable. So he wins a bronze medal in the 50k <laughs> race walk, an event by the way that's not coming back to the games. I think they're going to keep the 20 kilometer race walk, yeah. but the 50k is yeah. done and dusted. But he comes out on his social media today after putting an Olympic medal around his neck and he blasts the IOC who have changed the start time of the women's marathon by a few hours. Um, he, he is a, he is a real character, isn't he? He took a poke at CBC for not doing enough on Car- is it, is it Car- Carmen Rogers? The, the, the yes, hammer the, the, the hammer thrower. Yeah, and not doing enough on her. Uh, he's he he took all of sport to task, wondering if we should be in Tokyo, whether the Olympics should be going on or not. I, I think he's he's willing to say exactly what's on his mind. I, I, it's a, a, just a refreshing kind of thing to 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 see someone like that, and just so well spoken and so well read, and 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 you know willing to you know willing to get into those kind of talks so i i a fascinating guy uh has made me a race walk fan uh i'll be fascinated to see where he goes with you know what's the next step for him where you know where does he go with his career steve we've been posing this question kind of abandoning it around um are these the best summer games by can uh canada ever feels like it doesn't it Mm. It, it feels like they've done I mean the women's softball, the women's soccer, the you know, the track and field. I, I you know all the the rowing events, the swimming. Hard not to argue. I I, I think it's been fascinating. It's going to be about keeping that momentum in all those sports because we do feel like more of a winter sports country. It's going to be up to the soccer's and the track and fields and the softballs to, you know, get, you know to 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 really keep this going and you know keep it 
keep it firing. Well, hopefully success breeds dollar figures and eyeballs on these sports. So the more success we have, I think it can only be good for our country. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on a Friday afternoon. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the final few days of these Olympics, and we'll, we'll chat soon. Thanks so much, Jay. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Steve. Ewan with the Vancouver province. He yeah. does uh, – I'm, I'm throwing it out there for those that aren't aware – he does a better job than anybody in this market covering all sports. Yes. His versatility. He covers athletics. He covers soccer. He covers football, baseball, basketball, high school sports, and even race walking. And I'm so glad we got him on because he gets to put the spotlight on so many athletes that don't get it, that deserve to get it and uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Steve Ewan and uh, I know there's even a few other athletes local and provincial uh, who still have a shot at metal podiums going into the weekend that uh, he's keeping a close watch on so uh, a big thank you to Steve for uh, joining us to wrap up our show. A few more minutes here on Rintoul and Sermon with uh, Joey Kenward we're going to do a quick edition of Notes and Quotes. Who's in the top six? Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Who's in the crease? Really none of your business. And who's in the press box? It's time for Notes and Quotes. Joey, quick notes and quotes today, basically just running off some of the stuff that's going to be happening in the sporting world. Uh, BC Lions kicking off their season tonight in Saskatchewan. <laughs> 35,000 people. I'm telling you, that's going to look weird. As much as I'm (laughs) pumped to see the Lions, and you're wearing your Lions shirt here in studio today while I wear my Canada colors, um, I'm pumped to see them back. It's just going to be so weird after having watched all the Olympic sports to see a full house at Mosaic in Regina. Winnipeg got us teed up a little bit last night. Saskatchewan will be another story just because it's so much green on the television screen. Uh, see what Mike Riley can do. He has not practiced all week. He was not list- He was listed sorry, on the depth chart, not on the injury report. So hope is that that shoulder overuse from early in the camp uh, got a little rested up and he's good to go. We'll see what that offensive line looks like, Joey, if he can uh, stay upright this season. Yeah, they need him to be healthy oh. if they want to get things turned around. I mean, around. it goes without saying in any of the CFL teams, we could talk about Bo Levi Mitchell, Trevor Harris in Edmonton. Like, it's just... It's such a league driven by the star quarterbacks that Mike Riley, absolutely. But, I mean, what was it, three wins a couple seasons ago? 2019, they need a massive turnaround this season. So that goes tonight. We've also got Blue Jays. They open a four-game home set, a massive four-game home set. We know Greg Ballack will be watching this against the Red Sox. They play a makeup doubleheader tomorrow. Boston one and a half games up on Tampa for Thompson, the ALS Joe uh, Jays, though, they're really chasing that wild card hey, spot. Two and a half back for the second wild card. On fire since coming home, right? Oh, uh, how many, home well, cooking. I think they've only lost twice since they've come back mm-hmm. to Skydome. Uh, once. Yeah, sorry, run once. Uh, they've got a huge test, though, because well, one of the teams they're chasing is Boston. And to have a doubleheader, that's a rare thing on a Saturday. Uh, in T.O. that a team like Boston comes to town to play two in one day. Boston uh, won in six, Greg, in their last seven games. I think they had a five-game losing streak, 1-1, one, one, and then lost in their last game, if I'm I not mistaken. they're three and seven in their last there ten. You go. They're well, really struggling. Their starting rotation is in shambles. Good. Yeah. Let's come and face this uh, George Springer leadoff home run. First pitch. Did that a couple times. Uh, it should be fun. Joey, thank you so much for thank you. stepping in to the hosting chair. It was a fun show today. You know what? I walked in, or I woke up this morning thinking we're going to have one of two shows. One, we'll talk about, okay, is silver 
okay. Like, are we okay with Canada walking away with silver? They they improved their color. They changed the color from the previous two Olympics. It's still a great accomplishment, but, you know, on the better day, on the day the better team won. Well, we got the other story. I tell you what, and we haven't given probably enough attention to what happened at track and field while that soccer game was going on, but that is a day to remember for Canada sports. Mm -hmm. Gold for Canada's women's soccer team. Silver for Mo Ahmed, one of the best long-distance runners in our country's history, claiming second in the men's 5,000. And then Andre de Grasse and company win bronze in huge come from behind style in the four by one meter 100 meter relay it was uh, a good morning and here's hoping it's uh, good canadian vibes going into the final weekend of the games absolutely uh he called me out for not doing it yesterday big ups for greg ballack Mission Control here. Actually, I'm in studio. I always say back in Mission Control, but I'm actually in studio today. Josh Elliott-Wolf, thank you so much for producing our program today. Again, Joey Kenward sitting in for a vacationing Scott Rintoul and a vacationing Jamie Dodd. I will be back on Monday. Scott Rintoul has another week off. I believe it's Bick from Bick and the Boss is going to join me on Monday and then I don't even know. I have to. Just worry about Monday. Monday. Karen. Just worry <laughs> about Monday. Big. Uh, it is Bick and the Boss coming up next on Sportsnet 650. I think just the boss for one more day this week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Talk to you Monday.